Uh, during World War One, um, he was the fifth squadron's non-commissioned troop officer in the Christian the Ninth of Denmark, 18th uh, Seversky uh, Dragoon Regiment, uh, Caucasian Cavalry Division on the Eastern Front. Is that like how he had to announce it every single time? Like, Can you imagine? which regiment are you with? I'm with the 15th something Skurgowski Dragoon Regiment. <laughs> And that's, and that's I'm with the I'm with the I'm with the I'm with the Christians of Denmark, twenty uh, seventh uh, Crab Rangoon Crab Rangoon Regiment. Welcome back to the Trilateral Troika. This is Steve, along with the other Steve. My left arm hurts. <laughs> and Ryan. <laughs> um. Do you guys know chainsaws were invented to assist in childbirth? Do you know that? So anyway, uh, <laughs> I feel like what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna I'm gonna write an episode about just the the shit about medicine that would just blow your mind. It still blows my mind every time I read about it. But chainsaws were invented before we had the cesarean section. If the baby was unable to pass pass through the pubis. They would have to just cut. Right the now, bone. I got to mark this R eighteen because you said pubis. No, 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 it's a it's a medical term, right? But they had to cut the bone. It was right? also a joke. So <laughs> these two doctors said, "Hey, we can do this pretty quick," and they invented the chainsaw. Now it's not like your typical Husqvarna that you're you know in the operating room. It's funny. Uh, that's what I'm picturing. I'm picturing a man walks in, a man, and, I, and I, by the way, I mean like the stereotypical cisgender lumberjack, okay? With a one of those discovery, flannel. one of those discovery shows, or just he's like... got flannel scrubs on. And he comes in and he says, "You need me to open her up, eh?" And then he just he just starts the process. Hey, hey, whoa! Now is she having a baby here? It's oh. a lot like a pizza. You just you start in the center and you work your way towards the edge. Oh, working uh. up a sweat here. Gonna have to have a Molson's after this. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, uh, this one's taking a while. Get my Tim Hortons together. No, but it was a it, oh. was, it was it was hand crank operated. So they just you know cranked it by hand. Like uh, what if oh the guy God. that was cranking it like just slowed down for a second? <laughs> Because he was tired or something. Oh, They'd just be mid, mid-root. mid So we're talking what? about the late 1700s. So also remember that anesthesia... Uh, so none of these kids made it out then. Also, anesthesia <laughs> has also not been invented yet. You're right. Right, yeah. Well, they had whiskey and ether. <laughs> and morphine. Morphine, yeah. Which is basically ether, right? All right. Anyway, speaking of just, you know... Morphine. Speaking of chainsawing open a pregnant woman. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about this week? Well, it's actually related. No. And that it's not related. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> um, today, boys, we're going to be talking about Semyon Budioni. What? Mm. <laughs> Semyon Rice, a great player for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he started uh, UM? Or am I crazy? <laughs> he might have. I don't remember. Good football school. Good football school. Um, <laughs> Princeton University basketball team would beat him right now. I I imagine that one of those players, they're going to go on, like, if, if they go even further in this, they're going to go on to have, like, a mid-level, like, NBA career, and then they're just going to be the most successful, like, basketball player in all time because they have, like, a finance degree and they're already in, like, with some, like, 
like vampire financial firm so they get like excellent treatment. My yeah. Dade public middle school right now could beat him to be fair. <laughs> uh I think, if I'm not mistaken, you know how college teams always have, like, that one game a season that's, like, that guaranteed win where they pay, like, the really shitty schools to just come and just get pummeled? Yeah. I think Miami lost that game, if I'm not correct, if I'm not mistaken, although I'm not going to ride them too much for it because plenty of times the Gators have to. Shit, fucking idiots. Um, <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so I'm not going to ride them too much for that. Calm just, down, I Ryan. want to make that point. <laughs> Steve, what are we talking about for fuck's sake? <laughs> I told you. Christ. They're talking about Semyon Budioni, a Soviet general. Still, you you got to speak in English. This podcast <laughs> is in English. <laughs> so, Semyon Baloney. Semyon Mikhailovich Budioni. So his dad's name was Mikhail. Okay. Um, born in April twenty fifth, eighteen eighty three. How do you spell Baloney? B U D Y O N N Y. B U D Y O N N Y. Yes. Budyani. All right. Um, Got it. He was uh, born into a poor peasant family um, on a farmstead near the town of Salsk in what was then the Don uh, Cossack region um, in the southern part of the Russian Empire, which is today. Uh, the Rostov um, Oblast. So, quick question: Does he is he um, emulating Stalin with that amazing mustache, or is he just kind of doing you gotta stop, you gotta well, stop I, googling I think, everything? I, I think the reason why he has like the the colossal mustache is because it's like a, a Cossack. It's like a Cossack thing. He looks like Colonel Mustard. Colossal mustache. No, he has I a he has a reason, crazy mustache. It's enormous. Bro. I'm not looking. I'm gonna. I always like wait till the end of the episode and then see. He's if got a. He's got an obelisk. He's, he's got, got an, an asterisk. And, yeah, he's got an asterisk and obelisk ask <laughs> like like mustache. Wow. So if you type in Semyon Budioni into Google, I don't have right, the internet right now. The very first thing that po- how they, shut up. The very first thing that pops up <laughs> is I don't have access him, to right? the internet. It gives a quick blurb about who he is. It has his death date. And it also, shout out to Google for their heightism here, lists his height at 5'7". Why is that necessary to put right on the first part of the results of this guy? I, they gotta let you know that he was not, that, that he would be able to get women, that he wasn't in, that he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't cursed to be an incel yeah. because he was, he was too short. short. He was yeah. a short king? Yeah, how dare you? Ugh. <laughs> oh. Even though at 5'7", I'm sure the people on, like, 4chan or whatever are like, kill yourself, you're never going to find a woman. <laughs> yeah. All the dudes who are 5'5", five five on 4chan, telling him to kill himself. Um, so, despite growing up in a in the uh, Don uh, Cossack uh, region, um, he, he and his family... Don Cossack. He's a good guy. He's a riveter. Um, are, um, are not... Um, are, are ethnic are ethnic Russians. <laughs> they're not actually um, uh, Cossacks. They're, they're originally from... Uh, the Voynezh uh, province of Russia. Are you making statements right now you're going to regret later? What? When you say that they're not actually Cossacks, like that sounds like something you might say to, sounds like something you might say to a Russian that might get you upset. No, no, because like it is a it is a specific thing. It's not like it's it's not like being a, like a cowboy. It's not a profession. It's like an actual like ethnic group. Is it like the people who go around and say they're they're Taino 
Because I thought the Taino were like eradicated. Well, no, the Columbus. yeah, the the Taino are pretty much like yeah, those like, are gone. They're like gone. essentially anybody who's like from the Caribbean is um has like has like has like a partial probably uh, taino Uh, okay like 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 maybe like one or two percent but anybody who claims to know anything about their culture anything like that like we know very little about like their actual society and customs because like the spanish just like wiped them out and then just destroyed all the oh like the cultural stuff oh it's horrendous yeah, but there there are people who will who will say that and a lot of times it's like people who are like say that they're like druids and stuff. It's it's pretty it's pretty much the equivalent of, of someone saying like I'm a druid. It's like oh, the, well, the druid people just drive me fucking crazy. Um but anyway, um Cossacks are um they're they're sort of a um a Slavic, uh, mostly Orthodox uh following um people um who originate from the uh Pontic uh Caspian steppe of, of Ukraine and southern Russia. Um, historically, they are a semi-nomadic and uh, semi-militarized uh, people um, who, while under like sort of like the um, the auspices of different um, governments within Eastern Europe, uh, were allowed a great deal of like self-governance in exchange for fighting for those governments. Were they in there being nomadic? Oh God, I'm going to get this wrong. I know I am. Are they similar to the uh, Romani people? No, they're more like yeah, they're gypsies. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm saying, dude. It's a slur. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> no, if you if you say that they're, I'm sure Steve, that's something. If you said to them, it'd get you like punched in the throat. <laughs> uh, yeah, they punch um, me, and then they find my, the rest of my family and punch all them too. Um, because this is like this is like almost like this is almost like Chechen adjacent, like in terms of like the way these people are. So yeah, they probably like you know How kill many- half your family. How many layers of Khabib Nurmagomedov are we? Like, how, how far are we from him? You're like, you're like at a four right now. You're uh, at a, a Khabib level four. Okay, got it, um, brother. So, <laughs> brother. Um, so while there are n- numerous sort of like language groups and religious groups among the uh, the Cossacks, uh, most of them eventually became um, sort of like uh, Eastern uh, Slavic language speaking uh, Orthodox Christians. Um, they are, um, noted for also holding like a sort of like a democratic tradition, um, and sort of like many, uh, Native American tribes in that regard. Um, and the rulers of the, uh, Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth, um, and the Russian empire also gave them special privileges in return, uh, for them, um, operating as like a regular, um, cavalry troops for them. Okay. I see. Um, so usually the, the Cossacks themselves are, are organized along military lines, um, and large sort of groups that are called hosts. Um, each host had a territory consisting of um, villages uh, that were affiliated with them, and those were called uh, stanitsa. So if they were attacking your village, you would say, hey, Larry, the Cossack hosts are coming. Would you say that? E- probably, yeah. Like, okay. like, if you're, like if you're in... It's a totally like, normal question, well, Steve. <laughs> well, 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 yeah, but, but like the people would be saying that would probably be like Jewish people for most of history, but... So I'd be like, oi, the Cossacks! Because if like you've that. seen, if you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, the guys that like come I and have. like, like do the, do the pogrom on horseback, those are the, the Cossacks. Yeah, the, the Cossacks have like the really cool hats, though. I fucking love Fiddler on the Roof, by the way. Well, like a lot of groups in Russia have cool hats, but they, they, they have like the... They have the particularly like, like conical ones. Oh, conical, okay. conical, comical? like Jerry Seinfeld, comical ones. <laughs> well, they are. 
but <laughs> um so uh, the 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 Kazakhs mostly populate areas in the Dnieper, Don, Tarek, and Ural. Just so everyone knows that Zero Mostel played the best uh, Tevya in Fither on the Roof. Fight well, no me. one's going to argue with that. Fucking Steve. Me. Um, and the the Ural River basins, um, and they also were very important in the history and development of both Russia and Ukraine. Mm. Okay. Um. Uh. Uh. Semyon worked as a farm laborer and uh, as a child, also a shop errand boy, blacksmith's apprentice, um, and driver of a steam-driven threshing machine um, until the autumn of 1903 when he was drafted into the Imperial Russian Army. I really thought you were going to say until the age of seven when he was drafted into the army. Yeah. <laughs> driving right. a thresher machine at the age of six. But it's Russia, well, so who knows? Well, he was 15. Yeah. That's basically an adult back then. That's like 45 um, now. I mean, yeah. I mean, he probably looked like he was 40, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's a diet of vodka and grains, man. It doesn't see. <laughs> yep. Um, he, um, during this time as well, he would be married to his first wife, um, an illiterate um, uh, Cossack woman um, whose name was uh, Nadizhda um, Ivanova. Um, and this was right before he joined the army. Um, he would not see his wife again for for uh, seven years um, after being uh, conscripted. Um, he would eventually become a cavalryman, uh, reinforcing the 46th uh, Cossack Regiment uh, during the Russo-Japanese War, um, which ran from 1904 to 1905. Um, and after the war, he transferred to the uh, Primorsk uh, Dragoon Regiment. Um, in 19 no stop it that is not real <laughs> yeah the protoss are fighting this now the protoss dragoons that's right <laughs> um in 1907 he was sent to the academy for uh, cavalry officers in st petersburg um at the st petersburg riding school um he would graduate first in his class after a year of study um and he would eventually become an instructor with the rank of junior non-commissioned officer yeah there's a ton of good riding schools down there in st pete like equestrians all over the place honestly <laughs> Just outside Sarasota, too. It's a good place for riding, man. Uh, he returned to his regiment as a riding instructor with the rank of senior non-commissioned officer. Um, at the start of World War I, um, he joined a reserve Dragoon uh, Cavalry Battalion. Every time you say that, even though I know it's not from Star Wars, all I can think of is those goddamn things. Oh, it's it's going to get best better when I when I mention the name of the uh, the next... Uh, regiment that he's involved in. Uh, Bro, please don't, please don't tell me it's like the Zergling Regiment or something. <laughs> uh, during World War One, um, he was the Fifth Squadron's non-commissioned troop officer in the Christian the Ninth of Denmark, Eighteenth uh, Seversky uh, Dragoon Regiment, uh, Caucasian Cavalry Division on the Eastern Front. <laughs> Is that like how he had to Come announce on. it every single time? Like, if, can you imagine which regiment are you with? I'm with the Fifteenth. Something Skrigowski Ragundra Mezzament, <laughs> and that's, on the and that's Eastern Front. I'm with the I'm with the I'm with the I'm with the Christians of Denmark, twenty uh, seventh uh, Crab Rangoon Crab Rangoon Regiment. Regiment, and that's and that's why they lost the war, Steve, because they were too busy saying the names of their regiments. Yeah, and, that, and that's why that, that's why the Soviet Union they're just like yeah, I'm with the Fourteenth Motor Rifles. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. That's why the U.S. just goes in there kicking doors saying, hey, what's up, we're here. Motor Rifle <laughs> sounds like a good like metal band from like the late 80s. Motor Rifle. Um, precursor to Motorhead, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A tribute to Motorhead. A tribute to <laughs> Motorhead. No, Motorhead is a Motor Rifle uh, tribute band. Whoa. 
Whoa, whoa. You hear me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You need to, you need to stop right there. Week, that's going to get you. Lemmy Killmeister. <laughs> that's that's going to get what, what Ryan said there, much like what Steve said earlier. That's going to get him punched in the throat in some circles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, he became famous for, um, for leading an attack on a German supply column uh, near uh, Brzeznia. Um, and was awarded the St. George Cross fourth class for his efforts. Hmm. Um, um, but uh, despite all this, um, a, a lot of um, a lot of his standing out um, as well was also due to the fact that there was an ineptitude among the officers whom he served. Um, most of them were aristocrats from the Caucasian region of Russia who received uh, commissions mainly based on their, um, their their social standing. Steve, you don't have to say the Caucasian region. You can just say Russia. <laughs> <laughs> You just say white, bro. It's fine. Again, again, Steve. Some something. If you said that to a Russian, it would probably get you punched in the throat. <laughs> wait, wait. Refresh my memory. What is the Slav squat? Is it heels touch ground? There's traitors around or something. That's shit? what is it? He- heels. It's heels off ground. I think traitors around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Heels off ground. Yeah, you gotta you gotta sit flat footed. Flat footed with the Slav squat. Heard. Yeah. They, they do. They do the same in uh, China. Oh, really? Flat footed. Yeah. So who does it on the balls of their feet? Is it just Americans? I think it's people who don't normally do that because usually when you're doing like the the sloth squat, you're doing it for a long time, and if you're on the balls of your feet, you're gonna. Oh it, it's, yeah, yeah, that would suck. After I actually while. do okay. the sloth squat as an exercise. There's like a there's an exercise where you squat down like that and you you try to hold it for a really long time. It's hard. I need to man. teach my girlfriend that. It's, it's, it's just. It's hard, but if you can get down there and squat like that and hold it for a while, you have you have good uh, good flexibility. In November of 1916, um, his division was transferred to the uh, the Caucasus Front um, and to fight against the Ottoman Turks. The Caucasus. Um, he was um, during this time. He was involved in a, a confrontation with a squadron sergeant major. Uh, regarding I'm how such the a office- stupid, I'm such a stupid baby. Like every time someone says the Ottoman Turks, I just want to make a furniture joke. Like every fucking time, you know. And I didn't, <laughs> but I'm letting you know that I did. I wanted to. I appreciate you holding that in. That's fine. <laughs> um, he he got in a um he he got in a confrontation with this uh the sergeant major over the officer's poor treatment of his troops and also their continual lack of food. Um, the sergeant major um during this argument um struck uh, Budioni, um, who retaliated by punching the uh, the officer and knocking him down. Good. Nice. Um, Good. Nice. Because those, um, those are legitimate concerns, anyway. Um, since the uh, the officer was the one of rank, um, he was in uh, big trouble for this, but the uh, the soldiers all backed um, Budioni um, uh, during the questioning, uh, claiming that the, uh, the sergeant major was kicked by a horse. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's, yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, he was you could probably sell horse. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but after this, Semyon was stripped of his Saint George Cross, um, though he could have faced a uh, court martial and even execution uh, for this crime. Fucking military's wow. wacky, man. Insane. Um, that's literally would, the reason I, I one of the many reasons, but I never uh, decided to join the military is like that kind of crazy shit. Because that goes on in every military, too. Like, if you, like, you know, if you, like, defend yourself against, like, a superior officer who's a dipshit, you can get in deep shit. Which is wild to me. 
mm-hmm. absolutely wild. That no they checks and balances. That kind of unquestioning loyalty and unquestioning, you know. I mean, you need it for that. troops, but like at the same time, it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, but not when somebody put not when somebody puts their hands on you, though. Yeah, if you touch me, it's over. Well, you know, when you're serving under such great officers like uh, like Flint, you know, like when you got Michael <laughs> Flint telling you, you know, <laughs> Michael Flynn. Or Flynn, yeah. Yeah. Michael Flint is Larry Flint's son. <laughs> <laughs> I would proudly serve under. <laughs> oh my God. This army is full of titties. <laughs> you can you can see the you can see the vaginas and everything. Why is the rat? And I so mean high everything. <laughs> um so, Semyon would go on to be awarded the St. George Cross 4th class again. Wait, wait, um, wait, wait, wait. They took it away, and then they he got it back again? This guy's a... We got it, he got it for um, for his participation during the uh, Battle of Van, um, which was a, uh, a battle in Turkey. Um, he received the uh, St. George 3rd class uh, fighting the Turks near uh, Mendeli um, on the way to Baghdad. Um, he then received the 2nd class for operating behind Turkish lines for 22 days, um, and he received the first class for capturing a senior non-commissioned uh, uh, for capturing a senior non-commissioned officer and six men. Ooh, this dude's a badass. Once again, I'm saying this now. I'm gonna wait for the shoe to drop. After the uh, the February Revolution happens um, and the czars are overthrown in 1917, he's elected chairman of the squadron committee um, and a member of the regimental committee for his unit. Because remember when we talked about the Russian Revolution. Um, that when the, um, the revolution breaks out, they begin organizing themselves in what are called Soviets, which are sort of these like ad hoc like committees. Right. Um, so, th- so they just start sort of like, well, we don't really have like a leader now, so we're going to form these people like a um, together. Circle. Yeah, and then he became the the head of the uh, the this committee for his division. Um, after the revolution, uh, uh, Nadezhda uh, would uh, would travel uh, with the uh, the Red Cavalry. Um, organizing food and medical supplies um, for the soldiers. Who's that? That's his wife. Okay. Um, he would uh, return um, uh, to uh, Potovskaya. Um, he would then reelected uh, the deputy chairman of the uh, Stanitsa uh, Soviet of Workers, Peasants, Cossacks, and uh, Soldiers Deputies on January 12th, 1918. I'm guessing this guy was pretty popular because it sounds like he just like... Like he goes, so- like he, was he goes somewhere, and they're just like, "Yeah, let's put him in charge." <laughs> Did you see that mustache, bro? I was to say it's the mustache. guy. Look at his mustache. He walks into a room. Everyone thinks he is the top Russian. <laughs> Even if you look at a picture of him in 1912, which once again similar to Stalin, thirst trap. Um, his mustache, even back then, even though it was considerably smaller, still had like those uh, side curls upward, looking make him look very distinguished in his uh, military photos. Yeah, that's true. Bro, bro, Semyon, Semyon, Semyon fucks. He fucks. <laughs> Clearly. But I'm going to tell you um, right now, if you had shave, if you held him down and shaved that off, done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Done. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's like, um, you got to give him credit where credit's the- due, and he's right. <laughs> it's like he's like Samson, but instead of being the hair on his head, it's the hair on his lip. Exactly, exactly. Um, on on February eighteenth, um, he's ele- uh, of nineteen eighteen. He's elected um, as a member of the Salsk District Presidium and head of the District uh, uh, Land Department. What is that? It's the so land it's department. Uh, the the Shut presidium. Up, 
the Presidio. <laughs> it's the land department. I it's meant the department what's... that handles land. He said and the land department, <laughs> but he did, he then he said the Presidium, which what is which is the Presidium? A, a Presidium's like a, like a head, like like sort of like legislative body. I guess like it, it's sort of like a committee that takes care of things. It's not really like legislative in the sense that we think of because it's not entirely like democratic. It's but, right. but it's just. But it, but it's like so the, it's like the moms politi- for liberty kind of. Well, well, it's like like the head of like the like the like the top like eighteen people in China, like they're the presidium. Oh, uh, okay. Um. So so it's just that, but on like a smaller scale. He, he's like essentially the like the, he's the chairman of the board of the of like the state. Who loves you, baby? <laughs> <laughs> Me, Simeon Baloney. <laughs> On on the night of February twenty third, um, Semyon organized a force of twenty four men uh, to retake um, Podovskaya um, from uh, white guards who had taken the city, um, and was soon joined by a large number of new recruits. Uh, by morning, white guards. Huh? So remember the the whites in the Russian Civil War. The uh, oh yeah the, yeah okay ah uh, okay. Um, by by morning they had freed four hundred inhabitants um, and they had killed three hundred and fifty uh, white Russian soldiers. His force his his force style consisted of five hundred and twenty men. That's a lot of drinking. <laughs> <laughs> um and later, um, on February twenty seventh, he formed what was later recognized as the first hundred and twenty person strong squadron of Red Cavalry. Huh. Um he was eventually uh, elected battalion commander. Um and he would uh meet with Stalin um in, in Voroshilov um in July of nineteen eighteen. Um, both of these, uh, both these leaders supported the idea of creating a, a cavalry corps uh, to fight on the Bolshevik side in the Civil War. Um, but when uh, Leon Trotsky, because um, hey, remember, because <laughs> remember he's the uh, he's the commissar for war, the head of the the Red Army during this time period. Um, when he visited South Russia, he told uh, Semyon that cavalry was quote unquote a very aristocratic family of troops commanded by princes, barons, and counts. And even though I've been exiled three or four times, I always make my way back home. You understand what I'm saying? I'm back. Mm-hmm. Can I? Can I come back? <laughs> can I go too? No. Okay. Okay. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. That's fine. You don't have to. Ah! You don't have to grab me. <laughs> Get off me. Um. D- despite um, Trotsky objecting to it, the first socialist uh, cavalry regiment uh, was formed in in Zaritsyn. Um, in October uh, of 1918, it was commanded by Boris uh, Domenko, um, and um, Semyon was the deputy commander of this um, of this regiment. Um, okay. Semyon joined the Communist Party of the Soviet Union in 1919, um, and during the summer of 1919, uh, while they were in action against um, the white general um, Anton Denikin, um, Trotsky described uh, described Eric von the von Denikin. <laughs> Anton Danikin. The, the, the ancient aliens. <laughs> Just taking over. Uh, no, what we do is we make him think that Nibiru is here. Originally, Russia is Nibiru. Um, he he described the he described the regiment um, as uh, uh, Budioni's corpse, um, a horde, and Budioni, their atman, um, their ataman ringleader. He is today's uh, Stenka uh, Razin. And where he leads his gang, there, um, there will they go. Um, for the Reds today, tomorrow for the Whites. 
Um, essentially saying that, like, Bugliani can't be trusted because he's going to eventually, like, betray them because he's only in it for, like, himself and not the actual, like, revolutionary cause. So, like, I'm, I'm picturing, fan. like, the first Ace Ventura movie. Like, he's he's walking into, like, a secret location and he says, I'm here with the army. And he says, is that the red or the white? <laughs> <laughs> I picture him being in Tampa with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers jersey. No as way. soon as Brady retires, he lights it on fire. Oh, <laughs> uh, fuck it. In, in um, October of 1919, um, Simeon uh, would um, pull off one of the greatest uh, cavalry victories um, in the Civil War when he attacked and defeated the White Russian Army Corps commanded by Konstantin uh, Momontov. Just by himself? Uh, with, his, with his regiment. I have two St. George Cross. I come in. I win it's, that. It's it's not like when like Oda Nobunaga like defeated a superior force by just like running into their camp with like a couple guys. <laughs> <laughs> we have guns. True true story. Um on October twenty fifth, uh Trotsky would uh send a, a dispatch forecasting that the White Army in the South would never recover from this defeat and hailing a Semyon as quote unquote a true warrior of the workers and peasants. Wow. Interesting. Why did he have to send a dispatch? Is it because he's not allowed back in Russia? (laughs) (laughs) Man, the Trotsky, like, like, hate. I am at Holiday Inn in in Finland. (laughs) (laughs) I am at the Holiday Inn in Paramus Heights, New Jersey. (laughs) I I feel qualified to uh, send a dispatch on this uh, matter because last night I slept at the Holiday Inn. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, this letter may reach you late, but I just want you to know that Simeon Bologna is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> this also, is a nice business named, center. <laughs> I also met this man named Bob Bodelli. He was very nice. Very nice. Get the lights on for <laughs> Tom, me. <laughs> Tom Bodet. He's Tom Bodet. Tom Bodet. Tom Bodet. Yes, Bob Bodel is, is not a real man. <laughs> Edited in translation. Anyway, this is the end of my letter. I'm going to go play trivia crack until I pass out. Um, so when, uh, Poland, <laughs> no, Trotsky's a candy crush, man. Uh, no way. He's a trivia crack guy. <laughs> candy crush is the game that like, it's very fun. Actually. I played it for a while cause I like match three games and you know, you just sit there and play it for a while, but then eventually you get to a point where like you've played so many levels that you have to buy things in the game or you can't win. It's awful. That's so stupid. Oh, it's so bad, dude. Eventually, uh, Poland will declare its independence um, from Russia. Whoa, whoa, or I should whoa, say Steve, that for th- we're over here talking about apps. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now what? Now what apps did uh, did did Simeon Bologna? Simeon Bologna. What did he like? Is he like a uh, Clash of Kings, or would he play? Uh, he probably played like. Uh, I'm gonna say, <laughs> I'm gonna say he played Eve Online. <laughs> I'm gonna say Uma Musume. <laughs> He's playing a, an anthropomorphized horse racing girl game. I like. Uh, I like to think that he was. Uh, he was playing Civ Six. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, when when Poland uh, declares his independence from uh, Soviet Russia, um, there was no actual agreement between its government and the Soviet authorities over where the border would be between the the two countries. Um, so in April of 1920. Um, Semyon's cavalry was assigned to driving the Polish army out of um, Ukraine. Um, on June 5th, um, he took part in uh, recapturing uh, Kiev, um, and over the next uh, few days successfully drove the, the Polish uh, westward out of Ukraine. 
Um, at the start of the war with Poland, he was assigned to the Southern Front, which Stalin commanded. On August 15th, he asked the commander-in-chief of Soviet forces in Poland, uh, Mikhail uh, Tukhachevsky, uh, for authority to swing north and assist in capturing Warsaw. Um, with, Stalin's, with Stalin's agreement, though, he attempted to capture um, uh, Lviv first. Um, unsuccessfully, um, he eventually um, he, he was eventually diverted north, uh, but by the time uh, Tukhachevsky's forces had been driven back, um, there was a general retreat. Um, after uh, Semyon's army was defeated in the Battle of um, Komarov, which is uh, one of the largest cavalry battles in history, um, he was forced to withdraw back to Soviet-held territory. Okay. Steve, talking about Kiev and Poland and Ukraine and all that stuff, uh, what's your opinion on the uh, the International Criminal Court <laughs> declaring uh, Putin a, uh, a criminal? I think it's hilarious myself. Well, you know, it's just like the uh, they, they have to they have to serve it. You know, it's like the uh, it's like that Assad meme that Tankies like to post about who must go, where it's like saying like where it's like these different leaders saying Assad must go, and then it's just like. They, uh, then it's just the picture of the article where they either get like forced from power or they're like where they die. I just, just don't just, think just saw with his hand over his ears. I just feel like that it's it has no teeth, right? The International criminal. Well, well yeah, it's like don't participate in it or whatever. Well, it's like it, it, essentially you you have to get the person, and if the country they're in, like like cause, like obviously you know Russia's not could be like, well here he is, here he is. Um, and like he'd have to go to a country and they'd have to like arrest him, but like. Putin hasn't really been like going to like other countries that would like possibly be like amenable to doing this. So it, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, cause, cause largely like with like what happened with like the Yugoslav wars and stuff, like a lot of the guys that got like put in the, the international court that it was, it was sort of like the, the government just sort of like gave them up as a way of like reestablishing relations with like the rest of the world. Mm. Um, so like, I don't, I unless there's like some sort of like coup d'etat, which is like never going to happen. Um, I, I don't think anything's going to happen with that. Okay. Um, uh, Semyon would also take part in the reconquest of, of Crimea, um, which was the uh, final phase of the Russian civil war. Um, despite being defeated in Poland, um, he was considered one of Russia's great military heroes by the end of the uh, end of the Civil War, um, and uh, Semyon uh, Tymoshenko and Clement uh, Voroshilov. Um, he was um, he was part of what was called the uh, the Cavalry um, Army Quick, um, and they were supporters of Stalin. Look like Stalin, <laughs> um, and because you have to remember throughout this as well that Stalin was bigger in the South, like that was where he commanded. Um, during the Civil War, you know, he's in the South, much like Stalin. Stalin was not in St. Petersburg when everything's going down. Um, so he's he's sort of part of that clique of, like, Southern uh, members of, of sort of, like, the Communist Party. Um, and he gets sort of, like, put into that clique. In 1920, the Soviet songwriter Dmitry uh, uh, Pokras uh, wrote the song uh, Budioni's March, uh, which was one of the first songs to become widely popular throughout the Soviet Union. The uh, Soviet writer um, Isaac uh, Babel <clears throat> wrote about uh, rode with um, Budyonny's cavalry in Poland and published a series of short stories about the experiences he had, um, which achieved worldwide acclaim as one of the greatest contributions to Soviet literature. 
Um, but Budioni though was offended. Um, and he would, um, he would sort of like print up a bunch of articles, uh, one of which was in March of 1924, uh, demanding that the Red Calvary's reputation uh, be protected against quote unquote slander by a quote unquote literary degenerate. Um, uh, Soviet writer Maxim Gorky, um, then the most famous oh of the living. God. Is that his real name? Maxim Gorky? It just sounds like extremely Russian, you know? You've, you've never you've never heard of Gorky? I've heard of Gorky Park. Is that referring to Maxim Gorky? I think it is named after him. Gorka? <laughs> I don't know a lot about Russian history. I bought, but, a, but, I bought a really reputable book about Russian history, and I just didn't never finished reading it he's well he's like he's like one of the great like literary like literary figures of like 20th century russian literature and yeah i'm out dostoevsky that's about it um and and, and uh, marx (laughs) famous russian (laughs) um he would um uh gorky would defend babel uh but in 1928 uh, gorky park um, Listen to the wind. Go, go ahead, thumbs up. Uh, Semyon would would continue to attack, um, and an open letter to Gorky accused uh, Babel of "quote unquote" a crude, deliberate, and arrogant slander, which Gorky said was a "quote unquote" undeserved insult. Wow. Um, he also became uh, somewhat of a, a of a celebrity. He was known for his um his, his sort of like uh drinking and and um partying and, and dancing ability a um an american um associated press correspondent william reswick um described a celebration backstage in opera house um during a, a 10th anniversary celebration of the revolution um and he described it uh budioni the celebrated uh calvary an amateur dancer and admirer of the ballet joined us he was in high spirits after helping himself to some vodka he offered to outdance any professional in the Kamarinskaya ballerina um, uh, in the Kamarinskaya and ballerina Abramova um, took up the challenge. Thereupon, Budioni called over a harmonic player and went into a spin, cutting a Cossack caper um, with the ease and grace of a youngster. Is, so, that so like, is that like the Cossack dance, like where they like jump and hit? Just... Yeah, it's where they where they like kick out their legs yeah, and their like hands are crossed. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know when you beat Street Fighter Two as Zangief, and then Gorbachev comes out, and then they do. <laughs> Wait, it's it's that dance. You beat Street Fighter Two. Yeah, oh, I've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> that game's impossible. Um, from 1921 to 1923, Budionia um, was the deputy commander of the Northern uh, Caucasian Military District. Um, in 1993 or 1923. <laughs> Um, he arrived in Chechnya um, with a proclamation from the Central Executive Committee announcing the formation of the Chechen Autonomous Region. Um, he that same year he was it's also just appointed- Chechnya here. That's it. You stay out. Um, he's autonomous. Well, uh, they they do this in in like China too, where they'll have a region and it's like named after like an ethnic group, what, and it's just Uyghur? sort of. Do they is that named after that region? No, that's that's Xinjiang. I think in the longer name it might say that. Right. But like um there there's a couple ones that are like the the such and such, like uh, like 
ethnic group autonomous region. And it's sort of like them saying like, well, you know, they're represented. The, the area is named after them. Oh, okay. um, and it's what's, it's like one of the reasons why like the Soviet union, like broke apart into the different countries. Cause like, it was like Ukraine was like one of those. And like, um, like Belarus and like all these other parts where they are these like sort of like ethnic identity, uh, like places. And they're like, well, yeah, you have a state. So, and so, so you're represented. You don't need to be an independent state. You're, you're a state within the, the Soviet. Um, and, it, and it's sort of the same. Um, it's also why, like, um, the, the Chechens tried to like break away in the nineties because they were already like organized in that way. And they, they wanted to be separate. I see. Um, so in 1923 as well, he's appointed assistant commander of the Red Army's uh, cavalry. Um, and from 1924 to 1937, he was inspector of the cavalry of the Red Army. Um, he he spent a lot of his uh, time and effort in the organization and management of the Army's equestrian facilities and developing new breeds of horses. In 1924, uh, Nadezhda uh, uh was killed by a gunshot. Um, we're not really sure like what happened. Um, Mikhail uh, Soloviev, a, um, a Soviet army officer who was um, captured during the Great Patriotic War or World War II, um, he he eventually settled in the West after being captured by the Germans and, and not wishing to go back to the Soviet Union. He alleged that Semyon had killed his wife after she had confronted him over his infidelities. Um, Semyon had told his daughter. Um, uh, from a subsequent marriage, um, that his uh, that his first wife had shot herself, uh, possibly unintentionally, uh, when their marriage was failing. In 1925, though, he married a singer, Olga Stefanova uh, Mikhailova, um, who was uh, around half his age at the time and the daughter of a railway worker um, from Kursk. Okay, this all sounds very sus. Your marriage is going shitty. Your wife, quote unquote, accidentally kills herself, and all of a sudden now you have a bride that's half her age. Stop looking good, man. He waited Look, a year. He's clearly just exercising his right as a man to live. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's choosing life, he's not choosing to be strapped life. to a gurney. <laughs> he wakes up in the morning and makes his bed and has sex with his young wife. <laughs> <laughs> Um, after their marriage, uh, she entered the uh, Moscow Conservatory, uh, graduating in 1930, um, and then joining the Bolshoi Theater. Oh, wow. Um, uh, according to a uh, Croatian communist, um, Ante uh, Saliga, uh, members of the communist youth organization um, known as the uh, Komsomol um, were, were very shocked to see him and his new bride at a public banquet um, kissing her hands that they threatened to create a scandal which the party authorities, quote unquote, had to use a very heavy hand to stifle. Um, so it's to a point that, like, everybody's, like, even during that time, and even though he's a hero of the Soviet Union, like, the, the people who are around her age are like, this is, this is like, too much. That's, yeah, that's wild. Because, like, when, when they say, like, the Youth League, it, it, it's usually mostly people in their 20s. It's it's not, like, like children, children. Right. Um, usually, if you're, like, a young child, you're, like, the Young Pioneers, which is, like, the Boy Scouts. Yeah. Um, Semyon would, uh, would attend... Uh, for further military training at the uh, the MV Frunz uh, Military Academy in 1932, um, and in 1934 he was made a candidate member of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. Um, in 1935, he was made one of the first five marshals of the Soviet Union. Of these five marshals, um, he um, and and Voroshilov 
would be the only two that would survive the the Great Purge. Hmm. Somebody yeah, got to say live. Marshall. Do you mean like the person that like fronts the parade? Like <laughs> I step in with the baton. <laughs> yeah. He has, a, <laughs> he has a sash, you know, it's like Homer. He was the one with the bell, you know, like the town crier. I'd love to arrest him, but he's too good. So, I mean, he's from the Soviet Union. It would not surprise me for him to have a sash full of just ridiculous medals like those dudes from North Korea. <laughs> like the sash oh, oh, yeah, that, seven fucking medals. On. Yeah, they get they get that from the Russians originally, I believe, because like <laughs> what 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 that is is normally uh like in most like western militaries and most other like militaries in the world. Um, usually they just wear the ribbon, which is just that, that colored bar where usually like generals will have like a huge, like square of them because they've been, they've been in the military for so long and they've done so much shit, but the Russians are like, no, fuck it. I'm going to have an entire, like, I'm going to be weighed (laughs) down with with metal. (laughs) People, people five blocks away can hear me coming with this thing clanking. Clang, clang, clang. Oh God. Imagine how heavy uh, that gets after a while. Like you got him just hanging off your clothes. You got him hanging off your sash, bro. Well, that was well, that was like Brezhnev. Brezhnev gave himself the hero of the Soviet Union medal. I think like five times. Like he just loved giving himself medals, <laughs> and he would wear them all. <laughs> oh god, it's like that dude from Turkmenistan that wants to like pay Guinness for all the world records. <laughs> um. Uh, Semyon uh, was generally uh, well-liked uh, during the, the 20s and 30s, and he was considered a courageous and colorful cavalry officer, um, but um, he did not believe in the tools of modern warfare, uh, especially tanks, uh, which along uh, which along with uh, another uh, uh, military leader, uh, Grigory uh, Kulik, saw as, quote-unquote, incapable of ever replacing cavalry. Um, mm. This brought him into direct conflict uh, with Tukhachevsky, who was in charge of the weapons, uh, the weapons the Soviet Union was development, um, and foresaw the um, the emergence of mechanized warfare and its eminence on the field of modern warfare. Um, so this is a thing where, like, with like the Germans really adapted this really quickly because they lost World War One. So because they lost, they're just like, well, we we need to figure out what we did wrong and we need to fix it. Um, but with a lot of the world's powers, like uh, not as much the United States, but more like Great Britain and France. Where they're just like, well, we we didn't lose, so we obviously know what we're doing, so we're going to keep using these things the same way. Um, so instead of using um, like tanks and, and motorized vehicles in the way we use them today, they're just more like, yeah, you know, you, you just drive the tank up, and the guys are behind it, and then the they'll, they'll just push through the line, and then the troops will just follow it, and then just like take the position. Um, but but Tukhachevsky. Um, who was? Um, Wait, is that a bad strategy? That's how I do it. <laughs> you know, when you're just taking back the block, you know, you just roll up the tank. <laughs> I just walk behind it. That's what it's there for, right? Because uh. um, as well, uh, during World War One, he was held as a prisoner of war, um, and his bunkmate as a prisoner was Charles de Gaulle. And Charles de Gaulle was also a big proponent of this sort of like modern warfare. And Charles de Gaulle uh, would also go on in World War II to be like one of the only successful like French generals um, in like France's participation in the war. Um, so even after uh, Tukhachevsky is arrested, uh, the Red Army uh, would never stop developing uh, the large scale mechanized corps. Um, and each front had numerous such corps uh, attached as a second echelon force by 1940 and 1941. Um, 
but uh, but Samuel was never criticized on being the wrong side of the argument um, um, because he was a faithful ally to Stalin and and Voroshilov. Uh, um, as I mentioned, uh, Tukhachevsky is often credited um, with what becomes known as the theory of deep operation, um, which is sort of like the the theory of of sort of like the the Red Army is like like the way they operate, um, and what the theory sort of holds is that um, the arms are going to form, um, you're going to use combined arms, which means like a combination of like artillery, um, like regular troops, tanks, uh, motorized vehicles uh, to strike deep behind the enemy's lines and destroy their rear um, and logistics. Um, but a lot of his talk about this is not really, um, not really known um, because his published works only contain limited amounts of his theory. Um, his theories were also opposed uh, by some of the military establishment, um, but were largely adopted by the Red Army in the mid-30s. Um, they were expressed as a concept in the Red Army's field regulations in 1929 and were fully developed in 1935 um, with the publishing of the Instructions on Deep Battle. Uh, the concept was finally codified in the Army in 1936 with the Provisional Field Regulations of 1936. Um, it sort of divided deep operations into two phases, uh, tactical deep battle followed by the exploitation of tactical success known as the conduct of deep battle operations. So this guy was pretty um, deep. Yes. Yeah. So he's basically um, inventing modern or uh, yeah. at the time would have been like reinvention of Russian warfare. Well, well, yeah, he's essentially like discovering like modern warfare because like nobody, no one knew what they were doing in World War One. And that's why World War One was so bad. Right. So everyone's sort of like, well, like, how do we fix this? And then some people are like, well, we don't fix it. You're, you're stupid. This is just how it is. But but these people what? are like, the, these people are like, well, no, we, we need to do things differently. And we have this new technology and we need to use it. Um, and you have people like uh, Budioni who are like, well, this is just a fad. No, nothing could beat the raw horsepower of a horse. Um, oh, so you're, you're fucking no. stupid. Oh, no. Um, so Deep Battle um, sort of, um, sort of envisions that you break the enemy's forward defenses or tactical zones um, through combined arms assaults, uh, which would then be followed up by fresh, uncommitted mobile operational reserves sent to exploit the strategic depth um, of a front uh, of a front line. Meaning that you would divide up the front line into sections, and once you blow through a section, you send in these troops that are uh, that are motorized that haven't been fighting um, back into the enemy's lines to sort of cut off like the supply lines to the other, um, to the other sections that are still fighting. I see. Um, okay. So the goal of it is to, um, to make a decisive strategic defeat um, on the enemy's logistics abilities um, and render their defensive uh, front more difficult, impossible or irrelevant. Um, unlike most other doctrines, it stressed combined arms cooperation at all levels at the strategic operational and tactical levels. Okay. Um, this was demonstrated during in 1939 by one of his students, uh, Georgi uh, Zhukov, um, during the Battle of Kalkingal. General Zhukov. Or, or, yeah, like the General Zhukov. Yeah, or, the General yeah, Zhukov. Marshal Zhukov. Um, well, eventually Marshal, um, who commanded the Soviet Corps during that battle um, and and eventually won it against a substantial Japanese force in August and September of 1939. Um, it's often stated that the widespread purges of the Red Army Officer Corps in 1937 and 1939 made deep operations briefly fall out from favor. Um, but there's a lot of debate over this because uh, the doctrine was still used at the Battle of Kalkingal, um, and um, it, it also they saw the successes of the German operations in Poland and France. 
Um, but these, this, this strategy would eventually win uh, the Soviet Union World War II on the Eastern Front um, and contributed to the victories of the battles of Stalingrad and um, Operation uh, Bagration, which is sort of like the uh, the retaking of, of sort of like the the Ukraine uh, Georgian region of Russia. Man, that, re- or that region Soviet has just Union. been fucking war torn forever, forever. It's forever since the history of ever. Well, it's it's like a lot of things because it's just strategically important. Like right, Ukraine it gets you access to the sea, is, right? Well, well, no, like Ukraine because really? it's like the it's the breadbasket of it was the breadbasket of the Soviet Union. It's a large wheat growing area, which is like one of the reasons why the Germans wanted it because their agriculture was terrible. So, like, well, we're just going to take this good agricultural region and then we'll we'll just like farm it correctly there instead of having to you know like change the way we farm in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also wanted access to the Caucasus because that's where all of the Soviet Union's oil was. So it was more about getting the oil. Those resources, um, okay. So that's that's one of the reasons why they say Stalingrad was so stupid, because they focused on like taking Stalingrad when they could have just, you know, uh, surrounded it and then just moved on to the Caucasus. Like you do. (laughs) Um, But early on, early on in the Great Purge, um, Semyon is appointed commander of the Moscow military district. Um, and this is possibly because Stalin was nervous, uh, uh, nervous about a military coup against him and had decided to move. Um, against the two most popular Bolsheviks in Russia, um, Nikolai uh, Bukharin and Alexei uh, Rykov. Uh, when Bukharin was trying to defend himself during a plenum of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union on February 26, 1937, uh, Semyon uh, barracked him, uh, calling him a Jesuit. Wow. What's a Jesuit? Like, it's a uh, like he, sect of, Christ- of Catholicism. Yeah, they're like like a type of Catholic monk. But but they're they're like the more like, like the the extreme youth pastor like version of like a monk. They're like progressive is like, scholarly is it, a, is, it, is, it, is it like a slur to call somebody a Jesuit? Well, well he's just saying like essentially accusing him of being like a like a, like a like a spy, like like okay. just sort of like a guy who's like pretending to be like like be a communist. Gotcha. Okay. Because like because like I said like the the Jesuits are always like they're they're sort of looked down upon by some other like sects of monks in the Catholic church, right? like the Dominicans and the Franciscans, because like I said, they're like the, the extreme youth pastor mm-hmm. version of a monk where they're, where they're just like very much into like, usually into like social justice um, and, and sort of like liberation theology. Yeah. Like, like yeah. anytime you hear about like the Catholic monks who are like in South central or whatever, like trying to help people, like they're almost always Jesuits. Yeah. They're a little more liberal. You know they're they're gonna play basketball with the with the kids before they tell them about Jesus. You know, <laughs> um, when uh, when a commission met the following day to decide the uh, the fate of the the two men, um, Semyon called for them to be shot. On on May twenty fourth, nineteen thirty seven, uh, Semyon was copied into a resolution proposing to arrest uh, Marshal uh, Tukhachevsky um, and the high ranking party party official. Uh, Giannis uh, Rudzatox. Um, he wrote. He wrote on it. It's necessary to finish off this scum. Oh goddamn, bro! Those on June, we can't take back, man. On, on June, on June eleventh of nineteen thirty-seven, uh, he was one of the judges at the trial of uh, Tukhachevsky and seven other Red Army commanders, whose execution was the start of a massive purge of the Red Army. I feel um, like that's a huge problem that this man wrote. 
talking about it's necessary to finish off this scum, and that is also one of the judges. I feel like that's a big conflict of interest right there. Well, yeah, it's like when they have like, like, ju- like some of the judges here where they're just like, I think, like, I think all drug offenders should, like, they'll say like an editorial, like, I think all drug offenders should be shot in the street, and then they're they're handling like drug offenses. Like, yeah, that's wild. Like, you should not be allowed to do that. Um, so he's a he's a judge, and and at the trial, he provided testimony that Tukhachevsky's efforts to create an independent tank corps was uh, so inferior to horse cavalry and so illogical that it amounted to deliberate, uh, quote-unquote, wrecking. Uh, Wrecking was sort of like a crime in the Soviet Union, which during Stalin was essentially just like a a boogeyman. It it was almost like... um, It it was almost like the the Soviet equivalent of, like, calling someone a groomer, where where essentially... Where if if something, like, failed, like, say, like, the crops failed, um, the, the factory wasn't producing enough, um, something that was produced that was uh, defective, it wasn't because they were doing it wrong. It was because someone was deliberately wrecking it. And the crime of wrecking was was something that resulted in, like, either being sent to a gulag or, or execution. <laughs> he is like Ralph. Ralph. He is like Ralph. He is, he is like Ralph. Put him Get in jail. <laughs> he keeps wrecking everything. Put him back in video game. It's it is not his fault. He is he is too big and he just wrecks things. Get him too. He has large hands. He eat all the potatoes in Latvia. Just just starts crying when he's talking about how large his hands are. Oh no! Like, like I jerk. wrecked something again. Um, half half a century after this trial, uh, Soviet authorities would admit that all eight defendants were innocent. Um, the evidence consisted of of confessions that were forced out of um that were forced out of them um, under torture. Um, two, <laughs> Fucking Christ. Um, two weeks after their um, execution, uh, Samuel sent a memo uh, to Vorshilov disclosing that Tukhachevsky initially withdrew his confession, yet Semyon concluded that all eight were quote-unquote patented spies since 1931, and few of them even earlier were warming their way into our ranks ever since the beginning of the revolution. Um, his wife Olga was arrested in 1937, um, after a, a few uh, trisks she had with uh, foreigners um, and was charged with espionage and was sentenced to eight years in a remote penal camp. His wife. Uh, B- yes. His wife. Yeah. She was eventually released after 19 years in prison um, during the during the reign of uh, uh, Khrushchev. Uh, soon after uh, she was arrested, uh, Semyon divorced her um, in September of 1937. Again, this dude is sus as fuck. He's having these women arrested so that he can get a new wife. Um, Semyon would marry Olga's cousin, uh, Maria uh, Vasilevna, a, a, stu- a, a student 33 years his junior, um, who cooked for him after Olga's arrest. So this um, dude does the, the Hugh Hefner. He marries them, he lives with them until they get old, and then he just kind of kicks them to the curb for someone half their age. Yeah, but but his version of like kicking to the curb is like, like murdering and imprisoning them. Yeah, okay. A little bit worse than Hughes, but yeah, okay. Um, they, uh, they would be married until he died. Um, and they would have two sons, uh, Sergei, who was born in 1938, Mikhail, who was born in 1944, and a daughter, Nina, who was born in 1939. Um, as the great, as the great purge continued, um, the NKVD would also come to interrogate and arrest Semyon. Um, we're, we're not really sure what happened because the, the general belief story of what happened was that when they came to arrest him, uh, Semyon, uh, grabbed his service pistol um, and called Stalin to demand uh, for the agents to be removed. 
um, Stalin would comply with this um, and the event was not discussed again. Um, there, there are also sort of like uh, stories around this that he met the um, NKVD agents uh, with the machine gun uh, pointing out of his window at them um, or that he uh, that he shot them after they arrived and informed Stalin there was a, a counter coup against his uh, regime. They're right so outside. Probably this never happened then, right? In all so, likelihood, these guys came and knocked. He said, hang on a minute. He called Stalin, then talked to them and said, go away. And they said, all right, bye. Like, realistically, probably, right? Well, well yeah, I, I believe that he probably, like, like pulled a gun on him and then called Stalin. You'd think this dude would pull a gun on these dudes and not get just Swiss-cheesed? Well, they, they want him alive. They don't want him, you know, dead. Correct, but if he pulls a gun on you... It's, like, they, they, they want the trial. They they need the trial. Okay. Because right. that, that, that's what it's about, because if it was just, like, if just killing them would suffice, they would just be, they wouldn't even bother. Cause it's cause cause I call it the show trials because it's because it's about the show. That, that's what it's I, about. It's not, it's not about like eliminating the people. It's about like making examples. Right. I thought it was just a respect thing that they would at least come and try to talk to him. Um, his daughter um, denied the the stories, but also states uh, that he, uh, but also st- stated that he wasn't really a part of the show trials. That like he he didn't really like you know like like fully like like take part and believe in any of it. So her her word is also sus. Okay, just a lot of sussiness going on. A lot of uh, sus all the way around. By by December of 1937, um, he had been allocated a large uh, a large dacha uh, with uh, with orchards, um, raspberry and gooseberry bushes, a workhorse, a oh. black cow, and a pig weighing 550 pounds. Wow, interesting. So he's he's not only like like sort of like protecting himself during. Um, sort of the purges. He's he's also um, enriching himself due to his loyalty to Stalin. Um, in in July um, through July um, to September of 1941, uh, Semyon was commander in chief of the Soviet Armed Forces of the Southwestern District, uh, which was the southwestern and southern fronts uh, facing the German invasion of Ukraine. Uh, this invasion uh, began as part of Barbarossa, which was launched on um, or Operation Barbarossa that was launched on June 22nd of 1941. Um, operating under strict orders from Stalin, um, who at that point was attempting to micromanage the war, um, um, that he was told not to retreat under any circumstances, um, and his forces would eventually be surrounded during the Battle of Uman um, and the Battle of Kiev by German forces. Um, this would eventually be followed by the encirclement um, uh, by an encirclement that would cost the Soviet Union 1.5 million men. Um, killed or taken prisoner. Good God. Um, this is considered to be one of the largest encirclements in military history. God. 1.5 million? Yeah. Um, and um, soon, soon, after the, uh, soon after the losing of uh, Kiev, on uh, September 29th and September 30th of 1941, uh, the Germans uh, would, um, would take out the uh, Babiar uh, massacre where they would, uh, where they and their collaborators murdered uh, thirty-three thousand seven hundred seventy-one Jewish civilians. In September thirteenth of nineteen forty-one, uh, Stalin uh, sacked Semyon as a scapegoat, replacing him with Semyon uh, Timoshenko. Um, he would never be allowed to command troops in combat again. Um, he was uh, he was put in charge of the reserve front uh, from September to October of nineteen forty-one. Did they blame him for like? The 1.5 million. I mean, he wasn't really in charge, was he? 
Well, yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, um, it was. It was like arguably it was in his fault because essentially what happened was that they that they kept falling back, um, and during like the first opening uh, week or so of the war, uh, they couldn't really like get with Stalin. And a big problem the Soviets had is that within um, sort of the Soviet command structure and the Red Army is that you can't act unless your commanding officer tells you to. Right. So you you can't you can't sort of like like ad lib. Whereas the Germans were the exact opposite. Um, the Germans had like the, the Nazis and the, and the Germans had this thing called like the um, it's like the unity theory of command or something like that. And essentially what it meant was that all the, all the officers had gone to the same school. So the logic was they all knew what to do. Um, so you were given enough leeway that like, if you needed to act in a situation you could, and you didn't have a commanding officer to order it, you could do it. Because the logic was like, well, you're trained, you you know what you're doing, like we, we can let you do this. Right. But but in the Soviet Union, like if you do something uh, and you're not commanded to, like you can get executed um, under under Stalin. Um, so so nobody wants to like to, like do anything um, unless it's like absolutely completely necessary, and it causes like the Soviet lines to break initially um, and to fall back. Um, it also dealt with the fact that the Soviets weren't expecting the the Germans to invade. Um, they, they just didn't think it was, um, was going to happen just because of like it's ridiculous. how big of a task it was. Yeah. yeah Cause it was stupid. <laughs> Cause it was a dumb fucking move that they never should have did. And with the Germans, it was also that thing of, they would say, or they would get their orders to say, Hey, listen, just be at this place at this time. We don't give a shit how you get here. Just get here. Yeah. Like Applebee's so like, at noon, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, we will be at the Applebee's at... <laughs> yes, yes, come to Applebee's at noon. Yeah, it's very good. Have you have you tried the Fiesta Lime steak? Uh, trust me, the world <laughs> will, be, will start then. You will see it. I would tell you, it's a little bit uh, outrageous the way the, f- the fajitas come out and they make everybody in the restaurant be looking around. That it's just Sergei, too much commotion. it's fajita, not fajita. <laughs> Listen, the fajitas, they need to come out there just quiet, mind their own this. business. You know, you are going to Stop. be shot. My well, steak fajitas attract too much attention all the time when they come out the kitchen with the bubbling and the hissing and the popping. and It's unnecessary to be real. <laughs> one, one big problem, too, with, with uh, German German logistics is that it also worked on that principle where they're like, well, yeah, your winter, your winter gear uh, is in Berlin. Like, like come get it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say one big problem with their uh, their stance was that they didn't have chicken fa- fajitas. Like, well, that, that too. Ryan. Germany, Steak. Germany to this day Steak is still fajitas, yeah. is still bu- is still decades behind in uh, fajita technology. Steak fajitas, steak quesadillas. It's always steak, never fajita chicken. Fajita tech. Um, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, Semyon was made uh, commander in chief of the troops in the the northern uh, Caucasus direction, um, April um, from April to May of 1942. The commander of the North Caucasus Front from May to August of 1942. Uh, but was removed from this post as the Germans approached the Caucasus and appointed cavalry inspector of the Bren Army uh, from 1943 onward, as well as other um, honorific posts. Can you imagine um, being in a post for your job, right? Let's just say, like, you're an attorney, okay? And all of a sudden, you're up. You're up to bat, and you got this high-profile client, and your boss comes in. He's like, actually... <laughs> Hold on a minute. There's their scout. I'm gonna pull you back. We're actually gonna put somebody else on this one. But you can you you can be their clerk. You can assist them in preparing the case. But running this, I don't think so. I don't think so. There, it's it's like the uh, 
It's like the state <laughs> workers in, in Florida that it's like very hard to fire them because they actually have like a union and protections. Yeah. So like if they get somebody that they want to get rid of but they can't, they just like have them like sort envelopes in a closet or whatever because they're just like we can't do we can't we can't do shit with you and I can't fire you because you haven't done enough to get fired. So <laughs> well, it's fucking awesome though to be real. Put me in a dark closet, just fucking stamping envelopes. I swear to God, just let me get that state salary. And just, that state just essentially, insurance. essentially <laughs> melting from the office, but they didn't actually fire him. Yeah. Um, oh God, wonderful. You mean so melting? Mel- no, melting from office space, right? Yeah, or office yeah, space. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, d- despite his uh, his career during the uh, the Russian Civil War, um, his general view from other officers was that he was um, that he was incompetent. Um, at commanding an army in in modern warfare. Um, soon after the war, uh, Marshal uh, Konev uh, told the Yugoslav communist uh, Milovan uh, Dilos, um, uh, "Budioni never knew much, and he never studied anything. He showed himself to be completely incompetent and permitted awful mistakes to be made." Um, though, despite all of this, um, he was still continued to enjoy Stalin's patronage um, and suffered no real punishment for. The disaster that occurred um, under his watch. Um, after the war, he was appointed Minister of Agriculture of the USSR and responsible, among other things, for horse breeding. Um, one of his breeds of horse that, that he developed um, uh, since the Russian Civil War is called the, the Budioni, um, and it is uh, a breed that is still used in the Russian military. As Minister of Agriculture, did he work closely with our boy Troyfim Lysenko? <laughs> Lysenko. Uh, most, yes, most likely. Oh, wow. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, but, but he was probably, like, that, that's probably another reason why Lysenko got away with a lot, because he was just, like, he was just more obsessed with, like, um, like horses and crop yields, like, like, he's just, like, trying to tell him about, like, how they could increase crop yields. He's like, yes, yes, go on. And then, meanwhile, he's, like, playing with, like, horses. <laughs> like, 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 plastic horse figures. When he retired, he retained his membership in the Supreme Soviet. Um, he would die of a brain hemorrhage on October 26, 1973, at the age of 90. Wait, wait, time out. What is the... Okay, let's go back. When he retired, he retained his membership of the Supreme Soviet. Is that, like, your membership in, like, like the Knights of Columbus or something like that? Well, it would be, be like, if you retired from, like, Congress and you still got to, like, like, keep a seat and a paycheck in Congress. What? What the fuck? What the... Calm down. I guess I guess the closest thing would be is like that he he's like a it, it would be like a combination of being like a super delegate for for a political party and if that like merged with a legislative body. That's unreal, so, dog. You're retired. Like just step down. Let somebody else do it, please. Uh, but You're but retired, as a, you fucking boomer. <laughs> but, but but as I said, he died of a a brain hemorrhage on October 26, 1973 at the age of 90. Um he was buried with full military honors in the Kremlin Wall Necropolis, um, and he's one of the 12 individual tombs located between uh, the Lenin Mausoleum and the Kremlin Wall. Um, the pallbearers at his funeral included the General Secretary of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, uh, then Leonid uh, Brezhnev, um, and, the, and the Minister of Defense, uh, Marshal uh, uh, Greco. What day did you say that he died? October 26, 1973. 
The number one song in the United States was Midnight Train to Georgia by Gladys Knight. That's probably what gave him the brain aneurysm. He heard that, and that little vein just popped. Jesus Christ. He was like, no. The horse better than train. But he just, like... He, he, he ripped, his, ripped his shirt, started screaming, and then just died. <laughs> oh... Oh, President Nixon released the first White House tapes on Watergate. That's okay. That's what made they're going pop. to find out. <laughs> Here it comes. They don't, don't think they were spoiler alert. I don't think they were plumbers. I, I wonder how Tricky Dick will get out of this one. <laughs> he's, I, he's good. He's Tricky Dick. A, a funny, a, a funny like side story about the about like sort of like the the whole Nixon affair was that the Soviets thought actually thought it was some type of like. Like maneuver by Nixon, they didn't think it was like real. Like, like they didn't they didn't believe that like a like a world leader could actually like have that happen to them. So they assumed that it was some type of like like thing Nixon was doing for something. And and like throughout the whole thing, they're just waiting for like the other the other shoe to drop. Like it's like oh what, what's this going to lead to? Oh, like so like what's it. what's what's he going to do? And it's just like well well no he he fucked up and then he got, <laughs> got thrown out of office. <laughs> It's like Simpsons called it. Ah, uh, Soviets called it. Because like, well, no, no, it's the opposite. Because they're just, they're just like, they're waiting for him to get to like the fireworks factory, essentially. But he's never going to get there, much like Pucci, because he's because uh, he sucks. Because okay, like Nixon, like Nixon's whole thing with like the Soviets was he'd play like head games with them, like, um, like the way they described it is sort of like the the mad bomber. Like if you've ever heard of that sort of like uh-huh. political technique, was that uh-huh. he was like he he essentially like would scare the Soviets into submission by making them think that he was like so crazy that he might actually like push the button. Jesus Christ. So, so, you, so he like normally played mind games with them. So they were just like, well, what, what's this going to be? Like, like what's, what's the play here? And then, and then there wasn't a play. He just, he just fucked up. Meanwhile, then you get Reagan in the eighties who is so brain just broken. He might just hit that button by accident. <laughs> Gee. Well, well, well now, <laughs> If you could, if you could hit that button and uh, launch that missile, it'd be fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> well, 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 now that, well, that that button there looks like a big old jelly bean. <laughs> uh, Mr. President, do you have the authorization codes? Uh, yeah, it's Nancy Reagan. Uh, yes, uh, Nancy's <laughs> in the other room servicing the Estonian delegation. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that is the greatest little tidbit of history well, I've ever uh, heard. Is that his wife was known throughout Hollywood as being this kind of person and you get nowadays you get people who hadn't heard about that and they're like she was just so classy and she was so dignified and refined and it's just like bro nah I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure her throat should have had a fucking six pack okay her throat should have had abs and six pack muscles okay I'm I'm pretty sure um, he was having like an affair with her before he divorced his first wife because she's his second wife like there's there's like it was it's one of those things where they got married like soon after and i think i think he was carrying on an affair with her too beforehand but you know they're the values yeah party of family values people baby (laughs) oh god and on that now (laughs) (laughs) all right i'm gonna go get another goodbye (laughs) good evening Bye.